0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live Podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Sometimes when you're watching television, there may be a caption that says, warning, this may be graphic or whatever, that kind of thing, graphic violence, or might disturb some people. Well, maybe I ought to put up a sign today say, warning, this sermon is going to disturb all of us today. There are some passages in the Bible that are hard, hard to put into practice. This is one of them. Now, Peter's been talking to Christians. We're in 1 we're in Peter, by the way. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. He's been talking to Christians who have been scattered abroad. Some of them are being persecuted. Some of them are running for their lives. Then he starts talking about authority. You know, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago that we're supposed to respect authority in our lives. All of us have it. And even though we may not like it, we're supposed to respect it. And one of the things he said was to to honor the king or the emperor. And the emperor at that time was Nero, who was notorious for killing Christians. And so I'm sure it was a hard pill for them to swallow. And in verse 12, uh, excuse me, verse 17, it said, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, notice that part that said fear God, too awesome, uh, to reverence him. We've been praising God in his great name and thinking about his grace. But then he begins to talk to another group of people. And would you stand while I read God's word, verses 18 to 25. Servants, slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Don't you hate that? For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor, deceit was, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Would you pray with me? God, your word never returns void. Sometimes it sure is hard to take. Would you give us that strength today? We know that we are partakers of the divine nature that you live in us. But Lord, sometimes it's so difficult to live that out in our Christian life. So I pray that today you would encourage believers. I pray you bring those that don't know Jesus to you and that you would just speak to our hearts, changing our lives. May we never be the same again. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There was a motorcycle policeman who had to have an emergency appendectomy. His appendix got bad, and they did that where they take it out. Well, while he was in recovery, he was coming to, and the doctor was hovering over him and assuring him that the surgery had gone well. But he kept feeling this pain across his chest. It was very uncomfortable. And as he became a little more aware, he finally got up the nerve to look. He thought, maybe they did another surgery on me that I don't know about. And when he pulled his hospital gown down, across his chest were three long pieces of adhesive tape stuck to his hairy chest. And it's the kind that doesn't come off. And written across that tape, were these words, get well quick from the nurse you gave a ticket to last week. <laughs> Sometimes we just want to get back, don't we? And then you may have read about the lady whose husband passed away and they had the funeral and the, you know everything was finished and then when they probated the will, she found out that he had left his money to someone else. She's pretty aggravated about it. So she went down to the monument company that made the tombstone that's on her husband's grave. And she said, I want to change that. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry. It's already been chiseled in granite. Rest in peace. She said, well, you just add this line under it till we meet again. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to take. How, time, how many times have you been rude to people at uh, an airport, a, a, a baggage handler or some, I heard of a baggage handler, a young man who was there, and this particular day... They were, A man needed some help with his luggage. He was outside the terminal and that curbside porter. And and this guy was just being rude to this baggage handler. And while he was putting tags on his bag, and the, the young man kept being kind and gracious, and this man was just irate. And finally, he stormed off, and another lady in line walked up to him and said, Son, I don't know how you put up with people like that. How do you put up with such injustice? He said, Oh, it's easy. He said, That man's on his way to New York. I sent his bags to Brazil. (laughs) Now, I want to tell you, sometimes we just want to get even with people, don't we? And we live in a society now where it seems like everyone has their feelings up on their shoulder. I mean, good grief. Is there any, how many ways can we offend other people now? In our society, we just are so touchy feely conscious that if somebody sneezes wrong, that offended me. Here's the problem. Second Peter, we're told that we are partakers of the divine nature. God's Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And because of that, we love other people. We give. And and not only that, we're going to be more Christ-like. None of us are perfect. We'll get that out here now. This is a place of flawed people right here. Just forgiven. But the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And when we take this life and go back out in society to live it, people should see that wherever we are. And so Peter begins to write about something that's very difficult. When Jesus was here on earth in Matthew 5, it records, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to resist not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Well, folks, most of us are okay with the golden rule on Sunday while we're sitting in here, but during the week, we'd rather have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The problem is this passage sometimes is abused because some would say, well, if you're in an abusive situation, then you've just got to buckle up and take it. No, that's not what this is saying. I've heard heard this passage used for if a woman, a husband was abusing a wife, and they said, well, you've just got to stay in there and take it. No, that's not what that's saying. No, that's not what God gives you the wisdom or will give you the wisdom to know when to stand up for what's right and when not to take it anymore. And God will give you the wisdom when to and what to do. But what he's talking about here is usually when we just don't like something that the boss tells us to do because we don't like it or it's inconvenient or it interrupts our schedule or or maybe he's a mean or she's a mean boss or whatever. Now, in this particular day, slavery was rampant. Listen to me. Slavery at this time was not because of race. Had nothing to do with race. The Roman Empire was conquering countries, and if, if you got conquered, your country, you became a slave. So slavery, two-thirds of the population at this time, two-thirds, 66% of the population at this time were slaves. 60 million slaves at this time. Had nothing to do with race. It does not even compare to the slavery that we... Had In this country years ago that they tried to justify using some of these passages that was totally wrong always will be always has been and And here's the deal some people would say well How come Peter did not just tell how bad slavery was or or what to do because part of it at this time? Christianity was so new that he was trying to tell them as Christians you're living in a culture that is anti-god How are you going to live out your life in the culture? And so he doesn't take the time to say, well, slavery is bad and and so forth and so and so on. He just acknowledged that it existed. But don't go in your mind to the slaves that we had 150 years ago, 160 years ago. That was totally wrong, and it was according to race. Y'all got me there? So he begins by talking about, he's talking about authority, and now a lot of these slaves become Christians. They follow Jesus. They hear the gospel message. They're forgiven of their sin. They begin to follow the Lord. Now what do you do? We're free in Jesus. We've been free. We've been set free. Our our sins are forgiven. We are free in God. Our allegiance is in heaven. Do I run away? And what if my master or my owner becomes a Christian? Shouldn't he have set me free? Peter doesn't address that at the time. He's just saying right now, all you have control over is you. And if he, he tells all, Christians, all slaves that become Christians to start rebelling and start running away, then the critics of Christianity are going to think they're trying to undermine the fabric of society and that they're trying to become rebellious. And so Peter is saying, look, authority is in your life. Whether that authority is good or bad, it's in your life. And you have to live under that authority. So whatever it might be, let your Christ-like life show in it. Maybe your circumstances will change later. But for right now, you need to live it out. So Peter begins with an exhortation to endure injustice. We don't like the word injustice, which means you get something that you don't deserve and something happens to you that you shouldn't have happened. Slaves had no property. They had no rights. They were things. And and so they began to have problems with, hey, I've been set free in Christ, and yet I'm still under this Roman authority. They've made us slaves. They've made our country slaves. We have to obey them. So Peter Begins to exhort them. He says, first of all, he he gives a mandate for submission. And don't you hate that word, submission? Which means you have to place yourself under somebody's direction and authority. He said, submit yourselves. In verse 18, be submissive to your masters with all fear. We don't like that, do we? Some of you have good... Now, folks, we don't, I don't see any slaves in here today. At least I don't know about it. I think it's horrendous, the slave traffic that's going on because of sexual uh, things that are going on. And we need to do everything we can to stop that stuff. But right now, I'm looking at a group of people I don't see any slaves that we know about. But all of us in here, or most of us in here, Work. We have a boss. You have an employer, and your employer may be really nice. It may be easy to work with and reasonable and fair, and some of you work for a jerk. Don't raise your hand. They're out there. Some of them aren't Christians. Some of them don't know the Lord. Some of them don't care about God, and you have to work for them. And so they are not compassionate towards your walk with the Lord. And so Peter doesn't say you have the choice. He said be submissive. It's a command. Why? He gives the motive for it. He says with all fear. Now, does that mean I'm supposed to be afraid of my boss? No, you go back to verse 17 where he said, Fear God because of God consciousness, because of your reverence for God, and because of your living for the Lord. You now submit to the authority of your employer, to your authority because of God consciousness, because you're a follower of Christ, because you know God is watching And when he says we should be submissive with fear, don't be afraid of your boss, but have the fear or the reverence toward God who is your heavenly master. And Peter says two times that by doing that, he says in verse 19 and 20, that it finds favor with God. He said, if you go do something wrong and you get punished for it and you take it, well, you deserved it. If you break the rules, you deserve it but if you're doing everything right and they're just unbearable and unreasonable and you suffer strictly only because you're a child of God they make fun of your Christianity or they put it on you because you're a follower of Christ he says you still take it and it finds favor with God he's noticing it it doesn't mean that you can't go talk to your employer and talk about things but it, but most of the times that we get offended it's not it's not because of their being unreasonable, it's just because we just don't like the way they're doing it. But a secondary motive is not only because of our God consciousness, it's because it has a way of leading other people to Christ. Because other people that work with you may notice, the boss seems to be picking on you, but you take it with graciousness and you keep on doing your job to the best of your ability, you keep on serving God, you got a God consciousness with it, people may say well I don't know how you're doing all of that and you can give them the idea or you can tell them if it's because I really am serving the Lord not them Howard Hendricks told the story true story about he got on an airline got on a, a, a flight one day and the, and the plane pulls out to the runway and is delayed and so it's sitting there on the runway for a while and if you've ever been in that situation it is not a pleasant situation the planes get hot depending on the time of the year but it usually happens in the summer They get hot, people become irate, they become agitated, and one particular man was really taking it out on the flight attendant, and she was being gracious and kind, but he kept taking it out on her. After, Howard Hendricks says, after the plane got in in the air and people sort of calmed down a little bit, and they were back on the track, well... The flight attendant came by Dr. Hendricks, and he said, could I have your name? I would like to write American Airlines and give you a commendation for the way that you have conducted yourself. And she said, I don't work for American Airlines. He said, you don't? He said, no, no, sir. I work for Jesus Christ. And she said, every time before I get on a flight, my husband and I have prayer that I might be Christ-like with all of the people that can be difficult, that I would be a good representative of Christ on the job. You see, that's the attitudes you have. You remember who you're working for. We're told in Colossians, let everything you do be done as unto the Lord. Work hard because God is watching and because you are partaker of Of the divine nature with him the Holy Spirit lives in you it's hard isn't it because in this society we're so caught up in our own rights and what's mine and don't you offend me and you don't hurt my feelings and and don't you cross me I have my rights obviously we have rights in this country but a child of God doesn't go around all the time worrying about their own selfish rights We're serving the Lord. I didn't say it was easy. And and we've got it easy. We're not even being persecuted. We're not running for our lives like they are. Well, Peter then moves on to say, you know how you can do this and why you should do this? Because you have the example of Christ's suffering in verse twenty-one, it says, for, for, "To this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps." The word "example" there means writing under. If you have a child that's trying to draw, I, I couldn't draw. I can barely trace. I can I do not have that opportunity. I do not have that gift of drawing. I can't even draw a good stick figure. But I can trace. And if you give me a picture and let me put a piece of white paper on it, I can trace it off and it looks like I've done wonderfully well. That thing you're tracing, that's the example. It's the writing under. And Peter says, Jesus is your example that you might follow in his steps. And that word follow means it shows a, you know how when you walk in the snow and a child's behind you trying to step in your steps? That's the picture here. He says, You're going to do it because Jesus has already done it. Have you ever compared scars with anyone? You know what I'm talking about? Those of you in the medical profession will surely get this. But how many times if somebody had a surgery and you say, well, I had this done. And you visit them and they show you your scar. And then then somebody goes, well, let me show you my scar. It's it's right over here. And you start comparing scars. Y'all ever done that? Don't, if you haven't. And it may be sort of a crude way to look at it, but Peter basically says, you can do this because of what Jesus has done for you and don't try to compare scars. You say, well, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, yes, he does. Jesus had never been dealt wrongly. Oh, yes, he has. Peter was there. Remember, he he was there. He saw it. So let's talk about that for a minute. What did Jesus do for us, and how did he handle it? Surely, he well, we know he handled it well, but let's look exactly what happened to him. First, I want to talk to you about the corruption of his trial. Now, before we even get to his trial, let's talk about his friends. Jesus handpicked 12 men to follow him. They spent three years of their life with him. And I don't have time to go to the the Gospels, but when you go to the Gospels and you you look at how they were acting right before Jesus is going to die, that's, you know, he told them they were going to Jerusalem and they did and they're headed toward the upper room and they still don't understand all of what's going to happen and they're, they're bickering with one another. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and so forth. And then the next thing you know, Jesus is washing their feet Well, we don't wash feet today. Not like then. But in those days, when you were going to recline, you were going to eat, you had to recline around the meal. You didn't sit in a chair. And so, if you're reclining around the meal, that means your feet are going to be next to somebody else. You don't want to sit by somebody's dirty, smelly feet, do you? Especially when you're trying to eat. So they spent a lot of time washing feet and washing hands. And Jesus is washing their feet. Somebody had to do it. I wonder if they sometimes drew straws on who had to do it. Jesus didn't even say any word. They were complaining and and fighting on themselves. He began to wash their feet. And then Luke tells us that even after the Lord's Supper, they were still arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then we know that they all deserted him. They argued about who's greatest among themselves. And then they sure didn't volunteer to wash feet, but Jesus did. And and that reminds me of something. Did you know you'll never serve Jesus properly? You'll never serve the Lord properly if you are worried about your position of importance. When you serve the Lord, you don't worry if you get the credit or not. Maybe people don't pat you on the back. Maybe they don't thank you enough. But when you serve the Lord, you just say, Lord, this needs to be done. I'm going to do it. And I I know that you're noticing that. But then there was an even more evil attitude on the part of the religious leaders. And I won't even talk about Judas betraying him. But just when his friends needed him the most, they're arguing among themselves. And then you've got the religious leaders that do a couple of things. First of all, they treat him illegally. Illegally. Now, I didn't write all this down for you, so you have to just rest a minute. But here's the deal. when, when Even Jesus' trial was illegal. Well, I can give you at least five ways that it was illegal. There was a lot more. First of all, he was arrested at night. The law stated you don't arrest people at night. You especially don't put them on trial at night. Because it might be a rush to judgment. Well, he was arrested at night and he was betrayed, arrested, and tried at night. Broke their own laws. And then the next thing, they, they hired false witnesses to lie about him. And those guys couldn't even get their story right or they couldn't collaborate because they didn't have time to coach them. And you can read all about this in Mark 14, and you can find that their testimonies did not agree, and they were paid to tell lies about Jesus, but even their lies did not even match. And then the jury, which was the Sanhedrin, had already decided Jesus' guilt before the trial. Have you ever gotten one of those blessed jury summons? When you get the mail out and it says central jury Pool or something like that. Well, I thank God for in this country you get a trial and you want the jury to be as unbiased as it possibly can so the prosecutor and the defense have the option of of uh, deleting people if they think they're going to be too biased. You know, I've served on one jury trial, a criminal trial. Normally they don't get let preachers get that far but I think they ran out of cuts before they got to me so I got on it by default, but they want to have a jury that is uh, as unbiased as possible. You don't want if the defense thinks they're going to be more toward the prosecution, they're going to say, no, I don't want that one and so forth. But here you've got the Sanhedrin. They're going to be the jury. They're the ones that have already basically said he's guilty. Let's get on with the trial. The judge who was Caiaphas became the prosecutor. And John Caiaphas says, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. That would be like the judge standing up in the courtroom saying, tell us if you're guilty or not. And of course, he broke the law by doing that. And then they didn't determine if Jesus, they they said that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. They never gave him a chance to defend himself. For example, if they were probating the will of Howard Hughes, which some of y'all don't even know who Howard Hughes was, but he was a filthy rich, but a recluse. But let's just say they're, they're probating the will and I show up and say, I'm the son of Howard Hughes, I'm the rightful heir of that fortune. They're going to say, you need to justify that statement by proving it to us by, can you prove to us that you are the son of Howard Hughes? Well, when they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, he never got a chance to defend himself. He could have said, "What well, have you read the prophets and the writings that are about, up to this point? Let me call in a few witnesses. How about you, Lazarus? Are you here? After all, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He got no chance in that, and I don't think he would have anyway. But the fact is, you can see how these five steps demonstrated how hateful and unjust Caiaphas and this kangaroo court really was. And it didn't stop there. Not only were they treating him illegally, they treated him inhumanely. The scripture says they spit in his face. Now, have you ever been spit on? His hands were probably bound, Jesus's were, so he probably couldn't wipe it off. It's not a very pleasant thought, is it? I read one author who wrote, when they spit in his face, he thinks, this author thinks, 10,000 angels turned to God the Father just hoping he would give them the order to attack. But God didn't. And the angels remained silent and Jesus did not respond. If that wasn't bad enough, they struck him with their fists. And then it says, prophesy who hits you, Christ. They probably had him blindfolded at this time and were were beating him. And can you imagine? We get so aggravated when we see brutality today by people who have authority on innocent people, whatever that might be, of any kind So you've got the disciples that disappointed him. You've got the religious leaders against him. And now they take him to the Roman government. And and on the way from going from Caiaphas' house to where Pilate was, they changed the charge against him. Rome didn't care if anybody blasphemed God. They didn't believe in God. So from going from here to Caiaphas' house where he was guilty of blasphemy, which they could not kill him for, they move him over here to insurrection and treason against the Romans. And to make a long story short, Pilate succumbs to that and says, you know what, I don't want an insurrection. He tried to appease them. He had him beaten. He tried to offer them another prisoner and they wouldn't take it. And you know the rest of the story. But the, pr- the point of all of this is there's no one been dealt More of an injustice than Jesus Christ, period. You don't want to compare scars with him. And Peter remembers that even though all of that happened, he remembers the composure of Jesus that's displayed. You'll notice in verse 22, he says... Who committed no sin nor deceit was found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten. He quotes out of Isaiah 53 here. Some of the prophecy about Isaiah 53 is quoted right here. And you'll notice, first of all, he committed no sin, he acted in obedience to the Father. There was no deceit in his mouth. That word means to catch with bait. Jesus didn't twist any facts around to win an argument. Everything he said was truthful. And the word found, there was found no deceit. They scrutinized him. The word found means to scrutinize, to look for something that you're trying to find. Anything that's wrong, sort of like the press is doing today with our leadership. And I'm not saying I agree with all the leadership, don't read into my statement, but I'm telling you, I've never seen a president more scrutinized today than people looking for something wrong. I'm glad y'all don't do that to me. You know, I wouldn't be pastor next week if you did that to me. It says when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Revile is the most insulting, injurious words you can give to someone. Now, we get our feelings hurt when people speak evil to us, but I'm going to tell you the way they spoke to Jesus was reviled. He He didn't revile in return. Most of the time when somebody gets on our case, we get right back in their face and say, Now, let me tell you something just a minute. Jesus didn't do that. And then it said when he suffered, and the word suffered is a progression from the verbal abuse. The next thing you know, he's beginning to suffer physically. They've beaten him and so forth. And it says he did not threaten anyone. When we've looked at Revelation, we know how many millions of angels there are. He could have thought it. (laughs) He wouldn't have had to spoken it. He could have thought it and... Things would have been taken care of. And he didn't, he didn't threaten anybody. Can you imagine Jesus saying, you just wait. After three days, I'll be back. <laughs> he could have. But notice what he did in verse 23. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. He trusted God. You know, the bottom line When it all comes down to it, the bottom line is we have to trust God. When we're being mistreated, when we're being misunderstood, when people seem to not treat us fairly, and, you know, it didn't take us long growing up to learn that life isn't fair. There's nothing fair on this earth. It never will be because we messed it all up with sin. It's going to be fair one day when Jesus comes and takes us home because we'll have a righteous judge. But See, he did not, he didn't retaliate, he trusted God. So in your work or wherever it is that you're having difficulty, unless they are physically harming you, you're just gonna to have to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to use this in some way until you give me another place to work or until something else happens I'm gonna trust you. But why did Jesus do all of this? Why did he let them beat him this way? I'll tell you why. Let's look at the culmination of his suffering, several things quickly. He bore our sins. That's the same word that they use for the high priest, or a priest, excuse me, carrying the sacrifice up to the altar. The sacrifice. The altar was four and a half feet up, and there was an incline up to it. They bore the sacrifice up there. Jesus bore our sin on the tree, the cross, having died to sin. Let me tell you something when Jesus died God put your sin and my sin on him and he died for it why because the wages of sin is death if somebody's going to pay our sin price they have to die Jesus died who committed no sin nor deceit was found in him he died for our sins aren't you glad he took your place Aren't you glad he's forgiven you of your sin? Aren't you glad he died for your sin? And it says, and Peter remembers. Peter says, and by his stripes you were healed. Don't miss this. The word stripes in your Bible looks like it's plural. And most of the time when we see in these Easter pageants, and, and rightfully so, we can't be too graphic with this. I guess the most graphic presentation I've seen was years ago in um, the, the Passion of the Christ. But let me tell you, that word stripes in the Greek is singular, which means this. Peter remembers he was so abused and so beaten and so whipped that his body looked like one wound. It was not just a few stripes on skin. His face disfigured, his body beaten and torn and scourged. We have the portrait here of the suffering of God. His blessed face beaten by the fists of the mob didn't look like a human face anymore. His back lacerated by the Roman scourge so that it was one mass of open flesh. His heart torn with anguish because of the bitter word, words hurled at him. And why did he do that? He did it for you and me. It said we were like lost sheep going astray. You know, it doesn't take much for us to run off, does it? Have you ever noticed that? It just doesn't take much for us to run off, sheep especially. You have to keep fences up, they'll run off. I've got a dog, we feed that dog. We pamper that dog. That dog sleeps inside. But if that gate's open, that dog will run off. That's a dumb dog. (laughs) But you know what? Sheep are that way. And how stupid are we? We run off. But it says now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who, Who watches over your soul? Jesus Christ does. He's the guardian. He's the overseer. He's the shepherd of your souls. So my friends, those of you who are believers today, and that's most of you in this room probably, you go to work tomorrow. You remember you're a child of God. You're going to work for God tomorrow. It'll change all the difference. It'll make all the difference in your life and your work. I'm working for the Lord. I pray that God will give you the wisdom to know when you need to stand up for your rights and when you don't. And, and there are certain laws and things today that you can do. But, but we don't just walk around looking for, I'm going to stand up. You, you better not tread on me. Listen, if you work with somebody... You, they're, you're, they're not always going to tell you to do things like you would do it, but if they're the boss, they're the boss, and you need to do it with a gracious spirit and be the best worker they have because of God consciousness. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you can be like me. You can be in church a long time and still not know the Lord Jesus because God is concerned. Listen, uh, and I close with this. God is not concerned About your well-being on this earth now wait a minute I didn't say He wouldn't meet your needs and I didn't say he wouldn't take care of you but did you know God's ultimate goal is not to see how comfortable he can make it here on this earth for you and so those knuckleheads that tell you on television if you've got enough faith you just name it and claim it or blab it and grab it or whatever you want to call it that is not true it's not true you cannot back it up with the scripture and by the way, I, you know, I, I'm running out of time. That word, by his stripes you were healed. That word healed means can mean physical healing or it can mean spiritual healing. And when you interpret the scripture, you interpret it by the context. The context of this is Jesus dying for our sins. So the healing is you being freed and forgiven and washed clean of your sin. I believe God can heal, but you can't just quote that scripture and say, well, I've got this disease, and I by his stripes I am healed. Well, you pray for God to heal you, but this isn't the verse you claim because the context says you were spiritually healed. But what I meant to say was God is not concerned about making your life comfortable on this earth. That's not his ultimate goal. I believe he will. I believe he takes care of you. I believe he gives you an abundant life. You know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about your eternity, your soul. And you link your soul to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. Just a couple of more minutes, we'll be gone. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment, Or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.